The Sports Complex of the Horn. Welcome back to the Sports Complex on a Wednesday, Wednesday afternoon. I know what day of the week it is. Wednesday afternoon here on the show. We'll get into some NCAA Big 12 action that happened last night, playing some basketball, some NBA as we are nearing the all-star break. Tonight's last big night of action. Then one more uh, Thursday night, there'll be a few more games and off for about a week, except for the all-star weekend festivities. We can get more into that uh, as we get along with it, we can get into some NFL talk as well. Another defensive coordinator fired today or relieved of their duties. And some mock drafts have Texas in the first round. We'll get to all of that, including your text messages. Some Valentine's Day talk, too, I'm sure. Uh, all coming up. But text messages, 512-447-3776 is the text line number, how you can join the show, and uh, you can be part of it by talking about what you want to talk about, sending in uh, the topics you want to talk about, sending in your takes, your theories, what your opinions are, and we'll have conversations about all those because you guys drive the show. I just try to keep it on the rails. Uh, it's also Valentine's Day. I hope everybody uh, did not forget their Valentine's Day uh, duties and whatever you're going to do. We'll talk more about that, I'm sure, throughout the show, but I hope... Uh, everybody is going to have a good one and have your plans ready and know what you're going to be doing. Uh, and then also, uh, if you've not heard the news, uh, the, the, the sad news that uh, at the Chiefs uh, parade and celebration for the Super Bowl today, uh, that there was uh, some gunfire and at least one reported uh, dead and several others injured. Uh, so our thoughts are with those people in Kansas City right now who are trying to celebrate some good. And, uh, of course, terrible things happen. So, uh Thoughts with those people as well, but we'll try and be positive and aim forward on the show today, uh, talking about uh, the NFL and talking about some basketball, whatever you guys want to talk about in the text line. And of course, if you, uh, you know, if you've got your, your Valentine's ready, I'd love to hear what your Valentine's Day plans are. If you've got anything big planned, or if you're just, you know, you've got your, your anti-Valentine's Day plan too. I'm a single guy, so I don't have any big plans for Valentine's Day. I keep it. Uh, pretty simple. I used to used to go out on Valentine's Day uh, a lot more. That was a good day to you know you go out and then you find all the other single unhappy people and you all meet up and you all get drunk and then whatever happens happens. That was a lot more fun when I was younger. Now a little bit older, so I don't necessarily even do that as much anymore. You just kind of look past it, make a few jokes, and you're on your way. But that is, I hope everyone's having a good one uh, on a Wednesday. It's a Wednesday too. It, it's like on a Saturday. It always feels worse because on a Saturday. 
then you're supposed to be doing things, and then you're like, well, I'm going to go hang out with my friends, but you can't because all your friends are in relationships, and so it's, it makes it harder, and then there's just people around all the time. But on a Wednesday, it's just Wednesday for the rest of us. It's not, nothing big. Not like we're missing anything big on a Wednesday, so not not a terrible day. I prefer Valentine's on like a Tuesday, Wednesday. It seems to hit better than the weekend ones where then no one's available to, to do anything and then every club is doing a Valentine's special and everything. Nah, I'll take I'll take the Tuesday, Wednesday much more uh, for Valentine's Day. Uh, let's talk some basketball to kick off the show. Looking over at some Big 12 action last night. Of course, the Longhorns are off this week, they played on Saturday, get the big win over West Virginia uh, in a dominating performance. They have a huge game coming up on Saturday at Houston after they lost the game to Houston here in Austin. Uh, just a close game that they really were in, could have fought more for, but in that game there was some issues uh, getting the ball going early and the, the effort early. They're going to have a big game in Houston to try and pick that win back up and even that series, and it'll be a huge win when you talk about the bracketology and where Texas could end up in the tournament. Uh, it's still early to tell because they have some wins now that look pretty good. They're in that number, but there's not a lot of wiggle room and a lot of really hard road tests for Texas coming up. They've been one of the better road teams so far this season. However, that only takes you so far when you're not a great home team. Uh, but there are teams they could beat. You've got a Kansas team that's vulnerable. I know you're playing in Kansas. You have a, a Houston team that you competed with, and you got to be able to go to Houston and – and try and go pull some offense out against a really good Houston team there. You're going to have to go to Baylor, who got a win last night. We'll get into that in just a second. Uh, but that is one a team that you were able to beat here. Can you get a big win there? Texas Tech has been playing well at home. you got to go there. Uh, but some of those wins, you win a few of those games. Uh, you know, you're not going undefeated the rest of the way, that's for sure. But uh, if you could get some of those big wins, getting into the conference tournament and then have a good performance in the conference tournament, uh, your odds could turn around pretty quickly for Texas. They just need to continue to play with the effort that they have to play with. Uh, last night, though, we saw Cincinnati uh, drop one at home to Iowa State. Iowa State just a little bit too much uh, against Cincinnati. Uh, and Cincinnati did what they needed to do in a lot of places. They were able to out-rebound Iowa State. We knew they needed to do that. They out-rebound them 38-24. to uh, But you needed the bigs for Cincinnati to step up. Uh, like Victor Locken, who is a good player, was uh, big against Texas early when they played earlier this season. Uh, but he only ends up playing nine minutes in the game because Iowa State is able to use their guard play and they're able to dictate pace and uh, still play good enough defense on the inside with some guys that are a little bit quicker and faster. They could spread the floor pretty well, uh, too, which really took some of the bigs out for Iowa State. And once the bigs got out of the game, Iowa State was able to play their game and dictate the pace, something that Texas needs to learn how to do more of you know, adapting to play your own game as opposed to trying to set your own tone at the beginning. You sometimes have to adapt to get the other team to where you want them to be. That's what Iowa State did. A great job of coaching there for them. Uh, and they're just too fast, too good at shooting uh, to let Cincinnati hang, and Iowa State gets a big road win in the Big 12 over Cincinnati. Uh, Oklahoma, number 25 Oklahoma, loses to number 12 Baylor at Waco. Uh, Baylor gets a 79-62 to win there. Uh, Jaden Nunn gets 27%, uh, 27 points in the game. And real in the reality, Oklahoma's defense couldn't get going against this Baylor team. It's a really good Baylor team at home. Uh, on the road, they've shown sometimes that they've had a little bit of trouble getting going. Their freshmen are starting to get picked up a little bit more, too. We talked about uh, Eve Missy 
uh, the big man that is playing the freshman. He has another decent game against Oklahoma. If those freshmen start going for Baylor, they're a team that could jump ahead of Kansas and who's going to be competing when it comes down the stretch. Uh, I don't know if they're going to be able to get ahead of Houston right now, but but they're going to be competing in that Big 12 championship. If those freshmen continue to play at the level they're playing at uh, for for Baylor, they continue to get better and better as the season goes on. That's a harder and harder team to beat. Texas has to go to Baylor uh, where that, that team is shooting really well, putting up 79 points in the game. Uh, you know they're playing a good offense. They shot 55% from the field in that game. Uh, just too much for an Oklahoma team that has a decent offense and a pretty good defense. Uh, but not enough offense to compete with Baylor at home. And we can go over to uh, BYU getting a close game, a close win at home against UCF. Kind of thought this one would be a little bit more of a blowout because BYU's offensive presence, number 19 BYU wins 90-88 to over UCF. Uh, UCF did what they needed to do. They go points in the paint, 46-26. to uh, They play really well uh, for most of the game, but it really comes down to the fact that whether it was the way the game was being called or whether UCF was getting in bad positioning, they did not allow BYU to get going. They were trying to just get them in foul trouble instead, and BYU ends up shooting 46 free throws in the game. 46 free throws. 40 of them made a great free throw percentage. Not the thing you can do for a team like BYU. UCF ends up shooting 14 to 26, and when you lose by two and they just outshoot you by 20-plus free throws, uh, it, it's it's deadly for you. You try to play a good game. You stuck with them. You put up a ton of points. Uh, that's one of the ways you can get to 90 points is scoring with the clock off with the foul trouble. Uh, but BYU gets edges out of win with just really good free throw percentage and just continuing to get to the line, pushing, uh, pushing the uh, UCF defense backwards uh, more and more. But uh, uh, a game that, again, shows you how tough the Big 12 is that UCF was hanging with BYU in this game. Over in the NBA, a uh, couple games last night, we had the Thunder uh, take out the Magic 127-113. to Jalen Williams puts up 33 points in that game. The Thunder just a little bit ahead of the Magic. Magic had a pretty good game in there, uh, but just weren't able to play the defense against the Thunder. And when a guy like Jalen Williams, who is turning out to be just a really home run pick in the draft, uh, when you add him with an SGA and now Chet Holmgren's playing well, Jalen Williams may be playing better than Chet Holmgren. I know everybody's uh, jumping on Chet Holmgren, and he's you know competing with Rookie of the Year with Wimby. Uh, I think that's tempered a little bit more now, but he's still playing really good this season. Josh Giddy is playing well. Uh, you know they're they're getting closer and closer, and you know if Lou Dort continues to be a really good defensive stopper, that is a team that could continue to give pressure. I don't know if they quite have the star power yet to compete, but if Jalen Williams turns it in and Chet Holmgren keeps tipping, step, taking steps forward, this is a team that. You'll see compete in uh, big playoff games going forward. Uh, the Magic's still a little bit behind that. Uh, they're about a player short right now. Uh, Markel Fultz is their their shooting guard, and he just hasn't been playing at the level he needs to play. Where you know a team that struggles offensively a little bit, you know that shooting guard position is usually one where you're going to be able to get some points out of it. He just hasn't always been there. Uh, but I think if they can add one more piece, uh, whether it be through the draft or through free agency or even maybe a trade, and add that one more score, a good shooting guard, which is one of the easier positions to find in the NBA, that could really take this Orlando team to another level, put them in competition with some of the other bigger teams in the East. 
Uh, we also saw the Kings lose to the Suns 130-125. to Sabonis had a big old game, 35 points, 18 rebounds, and 12 assists for uh, Sabonis, DeMontis Sabonis. De'Aaron Fox adds another 40 points onto that one as well. Uh, both had really big games, but the the Suns just a little bit too much for this, uh, this Kings team. They get to the free throw line. Like Devin Booker puts up 25 points, 11-13 at the free throw line. And the offense just a little bit better for this Phoenix team. They're starting to come into their own. They're starting to add some pieces, adding a Thad Young in there as well, which is another scorer. They don't have a ton of defense. And so if you're able to slow down Phoenix, you're going to have a pretty good shot to beat them in the playoffs. But you're going to have to get in there and slow down a team that has options to score at almost every position. They look like they're getting more and more ready to make a run for it uh, in the in the NBA playoffs. Uh, a couple big games tonight for uh, for Texas fans. One will be Houston versus the Memphis Grizzlies. They are the Houston right now is three games back uh, in that play in role. They're three games behind the Warriors. The Warriors and the Lakers have been playing a little bit better as of recently, trying to pull away uh, from Houston, but they're not out at all from getting in that play in, which is what Ime Odoka really wants to do. I don't know if they're going to have too much uh, of a chance to compete highly. However, they do have a chance to get some much-needed experience for a young team with Jalen Green and with Jabari Smith Jr. and Amin Thompson and Alprin Shingun. That those are getting Cam Thomas and and Cam Whitmore, sorry, and uh, and Tari Eason. Those are some really good young players that if you can get them, especially if you can win a play-in and get them into a real playoff series, just to show them what it could be, it's a big game. So you have a game tonight against the Memphis Grizzlies team that just doesn't have a lot of power left after all the injuries that they've had and the John Morant coming back and then getting injured again. Uh, this is a big chance for them to come back and uh, get another win. We know that the New York Knicks win that they got the other night is being uh, is going to be, uh, what is it, uh, uh, they're putting up a, uh, they're disputing the win, the Knicks are, and trying to go to the league sources that they would then have to play them again later and just play the overtime period that would have been there if they would have uh, missed that shot and not gotten the foul call. That's another question, so you could lose another spot in there or get it back, but it's a big game. All these games right now that you're playing for Houston against teams that are below them and teams that they can win, you have to win if you're the Rockets if you want to stay in that chase trying to get to that number 10 or number 9 spot in the rankings so you can get into a playing game and just show the progress as it's a team that has just taken so long to get where it needs to get. And, you know, whether it be, you know, wrong coaching hires or just, you know, trying to figure out who you're going to find in the draft and the, the, the mismanagement of uh, player development, all of those things, uh, they really need to take a big step forward this year. Emo Doka's got them in the right track, but it would be a big marker for them to make the play in. Uh, and I know you lose a lottery pick, but at the same point, you're really the difference between picking 15th and 12th isn't that big. And so once you're already in that range, it's better to go ahead and make the plan than have a you know very little chance to move up in the lottery. Uh, it's not that big of a deal and uh, can be a lot for your organization, for those young players, could be a big piece for them. Uh, and then also the Spurs are taking on the Mavericks tonight uh, in Dallas. It's a fun game to kind of go into the all-star break with. The Mavs are very beat up. We know that Maxi Kleba and Luka Doncic and, and Derek Lively and – uh, Dante Exum, like a lot of players for the Mavs right now are beat up and, you know, game time decisions. We'll see who ends up suiting up and who doesn't. 
I'll let you know if it comes out a little bit closer to the show who's actually going to be there, but they have a lot of guys listed as game-time decisions, so we don't know for sure who will be in the matchup. It should be fun to see the new guys, P.J. Washington and Gafford, if uh, some of those more players are out, they get a little bit more playing time. We'll see how they match up. Uh, Gafford versus Wimby will be another matchup. He's not been a defensive uh, powerhouse, especially against a guy like Wimby who can spread the court a little bit more and hit some threes. So we'll see if he gets out on PJ Washington may get out and have to guard him a little bit as well. Uh, but fun to see when you get to see, especially if Doncic plays, I know I believe he has a broken nose now, uh, but if he can get in there and play, then Wimby versus Doncic is a, you know, a must watch matchup for, for Texas fans, for both teams. It'll be a ton of fun to watch tonight. Uh, Spurs versus Mavs. The Mavs are uh, heavy favorites in this game at home, uh, but I believe that's also thinking that a lot of their guys are going to play, so if they don't play, the number's going to change quite a bit. But the Spurs get a big win over Toronto uh, a couple days ago. That's a good sign for them going forward. They've been playing uh, a lot closer in these matchups. They're going to have a really hard time controlling uh, Luka Doncic. Their perimeter defense has not really been good. Their three-point defense has not been good this season. So this is a game that if Luka Doncic does play, he could easily get into the 40s. Uh, we know Pop has joked about that kind of stuff before. But uh, it, fun to watch because Wimby could have a good game against a Mavs team that has a little bit of trouble uh, defending bigs, especially versatile bigs. And the Spurs have trouble defending guards like Luka Doncic. So you could see a lot of points. And we know if Kyrie Irving is playing, Kyrie Irving is a Spurs killer, always has been. Uh, so he would be able to make a big difference as well in that game tonight. But that'll be fun at 7.30, uh, Spurs versus Mavs. And one other note I want to bring in the, uh, in the NBA because the report was out today, and it's just a fun thing to think about uh, in the world of what-ifs in the NBA, that at the trade deadline, the Golden State Warriors, when they were trying to figure out what to do, they didn't end up making a big move. But apparently a move they were trying to make and were looking into was going to is going after LeBron James and offering the Lakers a package where they felt you have to assume that Wiggins would have been in there to make salaries work. You don't figure they would have traded uh, Green or Clay Thompson in that deal because if you get LeBron, you kind of want to put those those pieces together. You would figure. Uh, so Wiggins, because he makes the most salary of all those guys, they could put in there. Maybe Chris Paul would have to get thrown in uh, just to make the salaries work out. But you figure Kaminga and a Moody is in there and maybe a uh, DiVincenzo or somebody like that, and you're just throwing a lot of the young guys for the the Warriors to try and even this trade out and throw your picks in whatever else and basically say, we get that we are at the end of the road with the Clay Thompson and Draymond Green and Steph Curry experiment, and we've had so much run, but if we get LeBron, we may be able to pull one or two more out because uh, you know we look at how good we were with Kevin Durant. LeBron could come in even at an advanced age and what he's doing, carrying the, the Lakers for a lot of it. If you put him in there, it would have been a lot of fun to see that of just the old heads team versus all these young stars in the NBA. Now I would have loved to have seen it at least be discussed, at least see a little bit more of who could have been involved in that trade. But I would have loved to see that just, just a little bit more of what could have been, but apparently LeBron and the Lakers basically shot that down immediately that, not only was LeBron not interested in going over, and I'm sure he's you know heard all the stuff about how he's already a front runner and all the people that hate him, and he's and then you throw in the fact of what Kevin Durant was called after he went there, which I don't have the same point. I know people get mad at all the time, and then you look at other. I, I've never understood why some guys it's not thought of as bad that they all get together like the the Warriors or the, the Clippers right now. No one's saying it, even though it is. 
uh, a matchup of, you know, Westbrook and Harden and Paul George and Kawhi Leonard is a pretty big power lineup, and they're doing really well. One of the better teams, not getting as much grief as some of the other places. And I get it, it was Kevin Durant. That's the team he lost to. I, I But again, I think at the end of the day, it was the Thunder kind of screwed up when they didn't keep Harden. And I think the Thunder just didn't necessarily have the right uh, group around to keep Kevin Durant happy when they had a very uh, boisterous Russell Westbrook trying to be the leader of the team. I don't know if he was going to be as happy as he could have been uh, there. So I think there was other scenarios personally, but uh, it could have been fun to see LeBron as a warrior, but it did not happen. And we will have to wait to see what will happen in the offseason. There's going to be a lot of talk. And if Bronny James does come out of college after this year, and go to the NBA, does LeBron James try to follow him? Do the Lakers try to get him? Where does LeBron James end up going after the season? We know uh, he he says he wants to be there, but the Lakers are finding it harder and harder to get to that championship-level uh, co- competition, even though they had a decent offseason. And and then we know that they were going to, you know, the whole point was you basically re-signed D'Angelo Russell so you can trade him, and then he ends up playing well enough that you don't really want to trade him because you don't think you're going to get anything back that's going to help you that much more because everybody knows what D'Angelo Russell is. And so even when he's playing his best, no one's going to fall for that trick anymore. No one's falling for the old banana in the tailpipe anymore. Uh, they're kind of in that rock and hard place. They're sitting there. The Warriors, the Lakers are only three and a half or three, four games ahead of the Rockets right now. Uh, as a young team, should tell you why those teams are more interested in making a big splash because they're just not in the same hunt with a lot of these teams that maybe don't get as much coverage like a Thunder or a Timberwolves or you know the Nuggets are still the defending champs. All those teams may not get the same coverage, but they're going to be all part of a big discussion and a big part of it uh, when it comes down to the NBA Finals and it comes down to the NBA playoffs. All right, there's some NBA talk for you. If you want to talk more about that, hit us up on the text line, 512 512- Four four seven three seven seven six for college basketball. You can hit us up there as well. Uh, let's get to Big Fat Poll. Give you some other things to talk about. On the Patrick's Big Fat Poll of the day on the horn. Big Fat Poll of the day today. Five one two four four seven three seven seven six is the text line number. What is the best Valentine's gift you have ever given? What's the best Valentine's gift that you would ever want to get? I'm not saying that you had to have got, but what if you were going to pick your gift for Valentine's Day? What would it be? It's Valentine's Day show. We'll throw it at it for the day. Sports news is slowing down a little bit. Thought we'd throw in some Valentine's Day talk today. I want to know what was the best gift you ever got. We got somebody, and what for you? If you have, if someone said, "What do you want for Valentine's Day?" What is your? Is it just don't talk to me? Is it? You know, a simple dinner at home? Is it uh, tickets to a game? Let me know on the text line, 512-447-3776. We come back, we'll start getting to the text line. We'll also get into a little uh, sound from uh, Hook Em Up with E and Rod B, talking about the differences of the Dallas defense, of how Mike Zimmer might coach things a little bit differently than Dan Quinn. Some good stuff for the morning show there. We'll get into that as well. When we come back here on the Sports Complex on the Horn 1019 AM 1260, the Horn app, and hornfm.com. Patrick Davis and the Sports Complex, weekday afternoons on the Horn.
Back in the sports complex here on the horn uh, on a Wednesday afternoon. Text lines open 512-447-3776. I uh, hooked him up with Ian Robbie this morning. They talked a little bit about the differences between Mike Zimmer and what he may want to do in his defense versus what Dan Quinn was doing in Dallas, what you can look forward to, uh, some of the changes that are possible. I, I did watch the press conference today with uh, Mike Zimmer and Mike McCarthy talking to the media. There was not a ton uh, really broken down in that session. Uh, there was not a lot of things that really – I don't think there was too much new information that came out in that session. Uh, both gave a lot of coach speak in it. Uh, but it was good to see Mike Zimmer saying that there was only a couple jobs that he would have really wanted, uh, and there was other jobs. Where the reason why the wait was was because his he basically had to talk to the other jobs that were there with him and maybe inform them first that he was not taking theirs. Uh, but there, that he always wanted to get the deal done with the Cowboys, uh, and he's looking forward to it. He's you know he's looking forward. He uh, when he was asked about Micah Parsons today, his response was uh, that he didn't want to say anything about what he was going to have Micah Parsons do until he told Micah Parsons to his face. So a lot of that you can't really get too far into. He's looking forward to playing with the Dallas Cowboys players. He's seen some of the game film, but uh, there was a lot of coach speak in it, so I didn't cut much of the clips up because. Uh, uh, there, most of them did not give out too much information, but he's looking forward to it. But Rob Babers does give you some information uh, about some of the trends and what you might be able to expect from uh, Mike Zimmer as a Dallas Cowboys coordinator after a Dan Quinn offense, defensive coordinator. Uh, here's a hook em up replay here on the Sports Complex. All right, let's talk about uh, the differences between the uh, Mike Zimmer and Dan Quinn defense. Uh, you know, there are going to be a, some, some things I think they're going to be very similar and what they're trying to achieve and what they want to do. Um, I also think they're going to be some some very different elements to the Mike Zimmer defense than Dan Quinn's defense. Um, and Dan Quinn's defense is really unique. And from a strategic kind of uh, philosophical standpoint, I think Dan Quinn was just great at, at creating chaos for the offense, right? He would just promote chaos. And he did that in a number of different ways. He, he do this by using a lot of pre-snap shell disguise. And because they use so many three safety defenses, it was easy for him to disguise a lot of the, pre, uh, the pre-snap look because he would just move those safeties around, keep moving those safeties around the front. Uh, and that made it really tough for quarterbacks to process pre-snap and post-snap. Um, he also ran twists and stunts at a top five rate in the NFL, probably as much as any team in the in the league. They ran a lot of twists and stunts uh, up front, a lot of loops up front on the defensive line. This helps confuse blocking schemes. So confusion and chaos, once again, is what he's promoting, confusing blocking schemes up front. Played a lot of man coverage, which allowed them to get exotic with their pressure packages and that created a lot of pressure when they were a top five pressure unit in the NFL. And then it created turnovers because quarterbacks trying to decipher, trying to process post-snap what they had already analyzed pre-snap. It didn't always match up. And if it didn't match up, quarterbacks would make mistakes. And that's why he had a defense that promoted a lot of turnovers. So it, it's it, it, you're not going to get, I don't think, the turnover rates as high, or the pressure rates as high from a Mike Zimmer defense. Doesn't mean the defense won't be effective at getting turnovers and at creating pressure. I just don't think you'll get them at the rates that you got them with a Dan Quinn defense because he would roll the dice. He took a lot of chances with that defense, and there were that's why at times uh, that defense was vulnerable to uh, just a straight-up power run game um, because there were some uh, – 
vulnerabilities with the defense just because it was built on hybrid principles, hybrid players he'd bring in, and that was by design. He liked hybrid players that also would lead to confusion. He's trying to promote confusion and chaos, as I said, that will lead to more confusion, trying to identify what players were and what roles also is more to process for a quarterback. And all that was done and I think intentionally built uh, and it was as the architect of that defense, that was something that Dan Quinn took a lot of pride in. And I watched him try to build the same thing at Atlanta. This is kind of a new evolution for Dan Quinn. Now for Mike Zimmer, he is going to use some of the same principles. He likes playing man coverage. Uh, he famously once said, you can go find a cover two corner anywhere. I can go to 7-Eleven and go find a cover two corner. Here. It means he values guys that can just play straight up man-to-man defense. Now, he won't play as much man-to-man as Dan Quinn. And Dan Quinn, between cover zero and between just straight up cover one, I mean, he was probably at 34% just straight up man principles with – with Zimmer, it'll probably be close to 20%, maybe a little bit lower than that. But a third of your uh, coverage was man coverage with Dan Quinn. Love to play a lot of single high safeties, probably about 60% or more of the time he was playing with one single safety in the middle of the field to reflect cover one, which is man-to-man, or to reflect cover three. Because um, remember back in his time with the Seattle Seahawks, then when he's the architect of the Legion of Boom, he played a lot of pattern match cover three. Uh, pattern match. Remember that term. We'll come back to it. They played a lot of pattern match cover three, and so he would kind of morph his defenses between playing man-to-man and playing uh, kind of a zone matchup out of cover three. And you would get between those two principles, you're talking about 60 to 65 percent of your coverage looks of your presentation single high man-to-man principles. That's a lot. Those are really high numbers. Uh, For Dan Quinn, 30% 30% cover one, about 10% cover two, about 33% cover three, about 11% cover four. That's pretty much how it breaks down. For Zimmer, you have much more balance and variety with your coverages. Uh, your cover one, you're about 17%. Cover two, 18. Cover three, 21. This is all from 2021, Zimmer's last season. Um, and cover four, you're about 13%. So he's just he's, he has a lot more balance to his coverages. Um, there's a, a lot more stability in a Mike Zimmer defense, so it'll be better against the run um, because they, he doesn't value hybrid athletes as much. He'll be more the defense will be more stout against the run. He likes to play two deep safeties when he can. In terms of the presentation, you go look at it: cover two, and between cover two, cover four, and cover six, and in cover six is quarters, quarters, half. Um, that's what cover six is. Between because the uh, cover six for Dan Quinn, he was at zero percent. He was last in the NFL at, at the cover six uh, rate. Um, Zimmer will play more. He'll play at least 10 to 12% of his coverage will be cover six, which is quarters, quarters, half. So that's a two-deep coverage. Um, Two-man is a two-deep coverage. Cover four is a two-deep coverage. Cover two is a two-deep coverage. When I say two-deep, I mean two safeties deep. So just between those coverages and you go look at just the way that Mike Zimmer likes to keep two deep safeties, you're talking about 50% are closer to 50% of your defense is going to be two deep safeties. And when Dan Quinn, he was playing two deep safeties probably closer to 30% of the time, 30 to 40% of the time. 
Um, so there's more balance in that regard, right? So what they call middle of the field close is when you have one safety in middle of the field. Middle of the field open is when you have two deep safeties and they are split. So the middle of the field is open, all right? So that's middle of the field open. With Zimmer, you're going to get balance. You're going to get 50-50 basically middle of the field close and middle of the field open. That was not the case with Dan Quinn. He's much more uh, – he seems to be a much more favorable to the single high safeties where he can play his man and play his cover three. Um, also, you're not going to get as many twists and stunts up front on the D-line. Um, he's going to play a lot of under technique, and it's going to bring back the fourth, basically a 4-3. Dan Quinn was more multiple, so you get a lot of different looks on the D-line. With Zimmer, you're not going to get as many looks. You're going to get Mike Zimmer with a 4-3 base. Uh, what that means for a guy like DeMario and Overshone, that remains to be seen. But over, the last, over his last two seasons in Minnesota, um, he finished fourth in base defense. And the base defense rates. Base basically means you only have four defensive backs. You don't have your sub packages of nickel, which is five DBs, or dime, which is six DBs. Uh, he, he had, they had a 34% base defensive rate, um, most of that being 4-3. They only used dime. And remember, a lot of people complained about uh, Dan Quinn's use of sub packages, but he loves sub packages. He loves to uh, blitz the field with speed. Spagnola. We just talked about Spag, Steve Spagnuolo, Kansas City Chiefs uh, defensive coordinator. He loves sub packages. He loves using dime and nickel sub packages. So does Dan Quinn. He wants to have as much speed on the field as possible, and he likes hybrid athletes. With Zimmer, you're not going to have that as much. You get a lot more base. Um, you also, his dime usage was at 2%. So he had the fifth lowest usage of dime personnel sub package and all the NFL the last time that he was coaching. That's just not the way Zimmer operates. So uh, that, those will be some of the subtle differences. You'll get more two deep safeties. You'll also get, I think, fewer twists and stunts. You'll still get a lot of pre-snap shell disguise because Zimmer likes that, but he does it with just his two high safeties, not the three safety look that Dan Quinn like to, th like to throw out there a ton, more than any team in the league. So, so there are certain elements that made Dan Quinn's defense so unique. More three safeties than everybody else in the league. Uh, top five rate of twists and stunts on the defensive line. Lots of sub packages. Top five rate of dime packages and sub packages. You just those are things you, I think you're gonna they're gonna change. But I still think you're gonna get uh, some similarities. There's a lot put on the safeties. Safety is deep right now for the Cowboys. I think Jerron, Jerron Curse may be the only one of those three safeties you got to worry about leaving. Um, and that will be that in the corners. Since you do have those two corners, that'll end up being that the strength of the team. The back seven will probably be the strength of the, the Cowboys, the way Zimmer's going to set it up early on um, because he's going to play a lot of man coverage, and that man coverage will dictate the pressure rather than with Dan Quinn. I think a lot of times the pressure would be able to dictate coverage. He's going to be a coverage dictates pressure guy because he's a secondary guy. Uh, Mike Zimmer's a secondary coach by nature. Yep. Um, Dan Quinn was not that. Good stuff. I mean, that's uh, what we'll follow. And I've got to build the staff, and he's going to bring, I think, a different type of attitude to the Cowboys. Yes. Just a more, as I say, boot-in-the-ass kind of mindset. Or Dan Quinn was more the, the, a player's coach, and they played for him. They played well for him. They I mean, did. It's one thing. I know all Cowboy fans remember the Packers game, and that's how the season ended. But you know, that team was was an elite defense a lot this year. And pro bowlers, all, all pros all over the field. Uh, two, two finalists for Defensive Player of the Year, Rod, yeah. with Deron Bland and – Micah Parsons, mm -hmm. um, but, you know, we, we heard the sound coming out of the Super Bowl of CeeDee Lamb and Micah Parsons talking about we have to be the force for change, right? right. We have to drive the uh, the maturity level of our football team and demand more. That 
That's where it starts, and Mike Zimmer will demand it. I promise you that. He, he doesn't put up with much bull. I believe that, and, too. Uh, yep. It's that no-nonsense. And knowing Mike, Mike Zimmer, I, I don't know. I would, I would bet uh, a house payment that uh, the F-bomb meter goes through the roof. The F-bomb versus meter? What, versus what uh, Dan Quinn was. swear jar around <laughs> Oh, there. man. For charity? Don't have that with Mike Zimmer. <laughs> don't have it. <laughs> no. It'll be full. When he gets going. <laughs> Good stuff there from Hook 'em Up with Ian Robbie. Weekday morning, 6 to 11, right here on the horn. Uh, some more stuff from that press conference today uh, with Mike McCarthy and Mike Zimmer. Mike Zimmer was asked uh, about, uh, and both coaches were asked about, you know, how much Dan Quinn was looking at that turnover ratio. And their basic concept was well, everybody wants to turn guys over. Uh, I think that the. The main difference is Mike Zimmer's uh, viewpoint on how to turn guys over and how to get turnovers and winning the turnover battle is much more about uh, fundamentals and sticking with it. So not, I don't know if we'll see as much ball hawking from Trayvon Diggs and Deron Bland. Uh, it feels like fundamentals and, and those types of things kind of takes away from what both those guys do of just really feeling like they have a spot and they know what the quarterback's going to do, be able to watch the game film and pick those balls off. So they'll still be able to do that a little bit, but it feels like they're going to try and get a little bit more into the fundamentals. And, and you know, they, they both said they're they're going for it. They want to have the turnovers, but it seems as if they, that they approach according, you know, as Dan Quinn was much more scheme to get turnovers and you try and blitz in the right way to get – uh, pressure, and then Deron Bland and Trayvon Diggs are both trained to be ball hawk guys that will come in and get your turnovers and, and take the ball back. Of course, Deron Bland setting the record for most pick six in a season, uh, so he can do those kind of things. I'm still curious uh, what they do in the secondary as far as player personnel. When you talk about a, a Gilmore possibly, and you know he says he wants to come back, and you can bring him back. You have a Deron Bland on a really team friendly contract for a couple more seasons. Uh, but you know he, how will he fit in to the Mike Zimmer world? And then Trayvon Diggs is coming back from a major injury. How quickly does he get back? Because we know that there's been the situation before uh, that the Cowboys thought that they had, uh, you know, another wide receiver, and it just wasn't the same after the injury. So you have to be a little bit more cautious to not rush them back and try and get them back into playing top level. But you're, you know, you're you're waiting for that. Week six, week six, week seven to kind of get back into the flow, uh, and then figure out if you have what you have. But at that point, you're already trade deadline. You're already past your your free agency and your your who you're able to draft and everything in that aspect. So it just becomes a uh, kind of a battle of the clock to see what they're going to do in that secondary. But as Rod said, Mike Zimmer is a secondary coach. He talked about it uh, in the game that that's kind of his bread and butter. They've got a great amount of uh, talent in the secondary for the Cowboys now. So you know he's Really looking forward to working with that. I think you look at that, and then who he brings in the staff, the defensive line coach. Who is he going to have uh, replacing Dirt who goes uh, to the Seahawks as the defensive coordinator? Who is he going to bring in there uh, to try and work? Because that guy's going to be working with Micah Parsons. As much as you know, we can sit and say Micah Parsons says that he's a, you know he does linebackers and he wants to be used as a chess piece. Last season did not show that. Whether it was his relationship with Dan Quinn and that's what he wanted. And, you know, they were able to give it to him because that's, you know, it pays a lot more money to be a great edge rusher. We see who wins the uh, the defensive player of the year and gets the votes. It's edge rushers. So I think that, you know, it makes sense of why someone would want to be more of an edge rusher than dropping back in coverage or dropping back in run support and those types of plays. 
I, I think that it shows what he wants to do. He also uh, brought up in different situations uh, of, you know, trying to be, uh, you know, a coach that finds the best situation and says that he likes that he's found with good players, that good players want to be coached. And, you know, good players really want to be, the best players want to be guys that want to be better. And he expects that from the team. So we'll see what Micah Parsons' relationship is. We know Micah Parsons has a great relationship with Dan Quinn. Uh, this is going to be the piece for Mike Zimmer where, you know, he's he's been known as a tough guy, but he has guys that vouch that his tough love has given them opportunities in the future and has helped them out a lot. Will that be able to help out with this Dallas Cowboys team? Uh, all of that uh, to be seen. Uh, I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on uh, Mike Zimmer and, and what Rodgers had to say. 512-447-3776. If you think that it will work out, if you think that you know, maybe the Cowboys need to get some other personnel, if you think that, send that text in. And uh, the big fat poll of the day today, what is the best Valentine's gift you have ever gotten or that you would like to get? And what's the best Valentine's gift you have ever given? Have you ever given anybody and just knocked it out of the park? I want to know what's the knock it out of the park Valentine's gift you've given. Uh, 512-447-3776 is the text line number. Let me know what you got there. We'll come back. We'll start getting to the text line, get some other conversation. We come back here on the Sports Complex on the Horn 1019, AM 1260, the Horn app, and hornfm.com. Patrick Davis and the Sports Complex. Weekday afternoons only on the Horn. Back in the Sports Complex here on the Horn on a Wednesday afternoon. I hope everybody is having a a good Wednesday. Weather is nice outside. You know, it's not too bright and sunny, but the weather is not bad. I'm, 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 I'll take it. I'll take it after some colder weather earlier this week. Uh, it's a good time to get outside and enjoy a Wednesday afternoon. Hope you're having a good time. I'm still looking forward to that Mavs-Spurs game tonight. I think I'm looking forward to it a little bit more, too, just because uh, this is a matchup that, depending on who is out for the Mavs tonight, the Spurs have a shot in at any time. The Spurs have a shot against the in-state rivals nowadays. Uh, I know in the past that was not necessarily the case that uh, that uh, Texas was, or sorry, that the Spurs were were heavily favored a lot of the times. But now it it feels good to be in that conversation. I was also reading today about how the ACC uh, has passed the. Uh, has passed the role to they're letting, they're paving the way for the in uh, helmet communication and the tablets on the sidelines getting us closer and closer. We talked a little bit about it yesterday, but uh, the good news that these teams and these conferences are finally figuring out that they have to stop trying to do wait for the NCAA to do anything because we know the NCAA just doesn't care about the progress of the sport. The NCAA would like things to stay the way they were forever and ever. Uh, except the money to go up, but they do, they don't want any change because they're making their money. It was doing very little, and they'd like to keep it that way. But everyone else realized the landscape is changing in college football, especially, 
And uh, if you're waiting for the NCAA to do the fair and right thing, that they'll probably just try and do the thing that's fair and right for them, and not for the players and and you know the best uh, the you know the the best future for the game, which is for the best teams in college football. And the you know you know I know you want to have everyone have a shot and the smaller schools be able to compete on the same level with the bigger schools. But in today's society, it's just not as much of a reality. And to handicap the bigger teams and handicap the sport as a whole uh, because some of the smaller programs won't be able to afford it just never seemed like the best way to go about uh, go about it. And uh, now we have the path that Texas is going to be able to – or sorry, that Texas – yeah, Texas will be able to and uh, other football programs getting on the sideline. And when you have great coaching staffs like Texas does – to have those tablets on the sideline and be able to show players more and more. We talk, you know, this is something that we, I think it was last year when Rodney Terry took over. He talked about being able in the locker room at halftime, being able to go in and actually have some footage cut up of the first half where they were having issues and not being able to see the blocks or not being able to make a turn off of screens and things like that and and just making wrong decisions. And they were able to go in and have to say, this is what you're doing. When we say that you're doing this, here is the actual video footage of you doing it uh, to give you a better idea of how to correct it. And it made a huge difference in the second halves, and it made a difference as you were going along. And when you can do those types of things in-game and you have the great coaching staffs that a school like Texas does, that it's a sharp choice can now on the sideline, talking to his players, go to the running back and go to a C.J. Baxter and go, hey, when you saw that, what did you see on the field? And here's what we saw and be able to help walk them through and to have uh you know your quarterbacks be able to walk through and and the learning uh curve for a guy like Arch Manning to be able to in the game start picking this stuff up as opposed to being on the sideline and maybe not fully immersed in the game those tablets give you another opportunity to be more fully immersed in every play that's going on where instead of having a conversation with somebody else and you're not necessarily picking up on every single defense and the tendencies of what they're rushing and then all of a sudden Quinn Ewers goes down and doesn't slide and you're in the game for a few plays and you're not sure what they've been seeing with those tablets you're now able to as a backup be able to get a little bit better clue of what is happening in game keep you you know uh, mentally in the in the no for the games, I think it's a huge advantage. And then you throw in the in helmet communications; it will be a great way uh, to help con- continue uh, the path for what Texas is of growing. Because with Sark, I think that in helmet communication will be a huge, huge benefit uh, for Texas. The Texan says, "With the new SEC schedule, do we get a schedule of cream puff in November? How exciting!" Sarcasm. Well, look, we've always scheduled at least one cream puff in in November. Like we always are. You saying in November? Sorry, I'm not in the beginning. Yeah, because we always schedule a cream puff early on. If we put one later in the schedule, I don't know if they'll be doing that. We still don't know if the SEC has agreed upon what they're going to do uh, post year one of breaking up the conference. I think they're kind of also in this this advisory group with the uh, Big Ten trying to figure out what the future of college football is before they, you know, demand to have, you know, nine conference games and all of a sudden they're playing nine and the Big Ten decides to go down to seven and, you you know, you're, you're, everyone's records on the SEC is just not as good as what you want it to be. Uh, I, I, I believe that it is, you know, it's going to be a better and better system you still want to play those games like a Michigan game versus uh, 
versus Texas is always those. You want those games in early in the season. But once you get to November, if you want to stick one in there, like imagine if, you know, when, when Quinn Ewers went down, one of those games when Quinn Ewers was down, they get to play you know, an easier schedule. You get to get some of your young guys in, get them ready. You also throw in the fact of scheduling that game now when we look at what the college football playoff is going to be going forward. What Sark talked about, the recruiting, that you could be playing 16, 17 games in a season. That if you say, yeah, I I don't mind necessarily throwing in one later in the season if you're trying to make it in the college football playoff. Now, if you're not, you know, in the college football playoff, it doesn't have the same appeal to it. But with 12 teams getting in, you know, getting a little bye week action where it's not necessarily a bye, but, you know, you can get some of your younger players in, get them some playing time so they're more ready. So if an injury does happen, you're ready to go. Those types of things I think are positive. I think those could be positive, especially for a Texas team. Now, this is all the discussion of Texas now versus we had this discussion four years ago. I probably wouldn't feel the same way. I'd be a little bit more upset about you know other people trying to get an advantage. But now that we're on top, let's let's do the things where we're on top. Uh, I also texted in, uh, why don't we just put controllers in the players' uniforms and the coaches can actually manipulate the players moving like the one old tabletop hockey games where you move the players up and down, ice and bump by, ter- by flipping the puck. How much fun would that be? I, I don't know if they're quite that much for uh, t- being able to tell you what to do because uh, the tablets on the sideline don't control anything. They just allow you to see the game better and the inset, but the 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 in in helmet sets will be big, and I think it would make it even more people trying to hire quarterbacks to be coordinators, uh, just to have your quarterback coach to be able to say, okay, now we see this, and make sure you make this play, and okay, make that read, and it looks like they're blitzing. You got that. Here's your rotation. Uh, give you a new progression, even really just try and step the game up. I think it could be really interesting. Uh, especially for a guy like Quinn Ewers coming back and his relationship with Sark. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that it gets done before this season because I think it would be a really good thing for Sark and Quinn. Uh, but if it happens next season, it'll be good as well. All right. Uh, text line still open, 512-447-3776. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll get into some football talk, a little NFL. There's a mock draft by Field Yates that just came out with two Longhorns in the, top, in the first round. We'll get into that. Uh, another defensive coordinator was fired today. And uh, we'll also talk a little draft of uh, where the odds are for Justin Fields right now and uh, another possible rumor about the draft. We'll get into all of that when we come back here on the Sports Complex in the Horn 1019 and 1260, the Horn app and hornfm.com.